Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long and the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Hey, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in this week. In segment three, we've got a new segment for you with Jeff Ma. He is the vice president of research for ProTrade.com. Jeff is a numbers savant. He's going to join me for a new monthly segment we'll be doing with ProTrade, which is an online sports stock market. You haven't heard of Jeff Ma. He's got an amazing story. He's the central character of the best-selling book, Bringing Down the House, which is the story of a small group of MIT geniuses and number-crunching whiz kids who took the gaming world completely by surprise. Bringing Down the House will soon be a major motion picture called 21, starring Kevin Spacey, Kate Bosworth, and Lawrence Fishburne. Jeff is a guy who teamed with these friends of his to take Vegas for millions playing blackjack. We'll catch up with Jeff in segment three. In segment four, SportsSense, USA Today, sports columnist Christine Brennan is going to join me from Carnoustie Golf Links in Scotland, site of the 2007 British Open. Carnoustie opened in 1842. It's played host to six British Opens. It's doing so again this weekend. We will catch up with Christine and get the latest from the British Open in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit our new and improved website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR on demand anytime you want. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. We broke a story on our blog earlier in the week, Monday to be exact. Seattle Supersonic star Kevin Durant has a deal with Nike, as I told you he would last week. A lot of numbers have been reported this week. Some are completely fiction, and I want to correct those numbers, give you the real story. I will do that next in our headline segment. Also, we have the mother of all caught in the cross lights to bring you in our next segment. One guess as to who the PR nightmare of the week victim is. Bobby Corser, we attended the wedding of Nathan Roach, our normal contributor on this show last weekend, and I thought Nathan did pretty good. He didn't fall down. He didn't make a fool of himself. He did all right. We thought he would do well, but he did look very, very nervous up in front. Yeah, he did look very nervous, uh, but at the reception, all was good. He was having a good time. He cut a rug with his mom, and we learned during a slideshow that in addition to being a collegiate tennis player, Nathan, during his early years, was a gymnast. So those are some things that we'll discuss with Nathan next week when he's back in the studio with us. But coming up next, we've got plenty of sports business headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. 
With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. The 136th British Open began Thursday at Carnoustie Golf Links in Scotland. TNT aired first and second round coverage Thursday and Friday and will offer four hours of weekend coverage. ABC will offer 11 hours of coverage this weekend. CBSSportsLine.com offered live streaming video on Thursday and Friday. ABC producer Chris Olmeyer said that TrackMan Animation which is a feature that hasn't been used by a U.S. network previously, will show shot distances, rolls, trajectory, and speed for tee shots on the 6th and 10th hole. So keep your eyes open for that. Carnoustie, as we told you in segment one, opened in 1842. It's hosted six British Opens. The last one took place there in 1999 when John Vandeveld blew a three-shot lead on the final hole of regulation. Then he lost in a playoff. It was one of the great sports collapses of all time. The winner of the British Open will take home $1.5 million. USA Today sports columnist Christine Brennan will join me from Carnoustie in Scotland during segment four, so stay tuned for that. Our next headline, Kevin Durant, the number two pick in the NBA draft, the new star of the Seattle Supersonics, has a new deal with Nike. I broke the story of Durant signing with Nike on my blog, sportsbusinessradio.com, on Monday. Now, the Seattle Times reported days later that the deal was a seven-year, $60 million deal with Nike, but my sources tell me the deal is much closer to the $40 million deal that I first reported. With incentives, maybe it can get close to $50 million, and sometimes these incentives include things like all-star appearances, even MVPs, but it's pretty hard to reach those incentives so you got to look at the deal and the main value of this deal is valued at close to 40 million dollars now the times also reported that durant turned down a seven-year 70 million dollar offer from adidas because durant wanted to sign with the company that he's been close to since the eighth grade I have obviously been telling you that for the last few weeks on the show. I wrote about that in the blog. you got to give Kevin Durant, an 18-year-old kid, a lot of credit for taking a stand with his agent, Aaron Goodwin, and even his mother, who were pushing him to sign with Adidas. Durant felt comfortable with Nike. He felt that was the authentic brand for him. He chose them over Adidas, even though Adidas made an impressive pitch and obviously offered more money than Nike did. Now, Durant's agent, Aaron Goodwin, dragged these negotiations out forever. It really didn't make Nike or Adidas happy because they started to lose patience. Listen, they've got budgets they've got to maintain. Adidas, as it turns out, lost a number of guys in the recent NBA first round because they were waiting to see what Durant would do, so they lost some of these guys to Nike. They did get Mike Conley Jr. signed, though, so that's good news for them. Adidas wanted to have Durant on board last weekend because that's when they filmed their It Take 
It takes five spots down in Los Angeles. Their core guys, Duncan, Garnett, McGrady, um, some of the other guys, Chauncey, Billups, Gilbert, Arenas, Dwight, Howard. They wanted to have Durant on board for that. They didn't have a deal, so this deal with Adidas was kind of doomed from the beginning. But I think Durant wanted to sign with Nike from day one, and the struggle with his agent and his mom was why it took so long, in addition to this $40 million bar that Aaron Goodwin had to get to. As a side note, Kevin Durant is going to make more money from Nike and his upper deck deal during the first three years in the NBA than he will from his actual contract with the Sonics. Our next headline, Barry Bonds closing in on Hank Aaron's all-time home run record as his Giants take on the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. How ironic will it be if Bonds breaks the all-time record in Bud Selig's hometown of Milwaukee? It's also worth noting that Hank Aaron played in Milwaukee and in Atlanta. If Bonds doesn't break the record this weekend, his Giants return home to San Francisco, AT&T Park, their opponent, Atlanta, for four games. We will keep our eyes on this situation. It's obviously history in the making, no matter how you look at it. Our next headline, Jerry Yang wins $8.25 million and a pretty cool bracelet for winning the World Series of Poker this week. Yang not only made it through a field of 6,358 players that began play July 6th, he knocked out seven of his eight final table opponents single-handedly, reminiscent of last year's final table when Jamie Gold ran over his opponents. Now, ESPN showed the final round on pay-per-view, which viewers could access either on TV or online. Bobby, I know you're a World Series of Poker guy. What did you think about the event? I thought it was great, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. The funny thing that everybody's talking about is how long the final day went. Final table usually takes maybe 8, 9, 10 hours. They usually go maybe kind of early into the night, say midnight 1, 2. This didn't get over till almost 7 a.m. Las Vegas time. They played for over 14 hours. The other thing that's pretty cool story about Yang is he doesn't come from a wealthy background. He stayed at a pretty seedy hotel in Las Vegas until the final weekend when he made the final table. Then he moved to the Rio. He's going to donate 10% of his earnings to charities, including Ronald McDonald House Charities and Make-A-Wish. I think that's pretty cool. Well, there's certainly one player who's made his fair share of headlines this week. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Ah, how the mighty have fallen. Just two years ago, Atlanta Falcons quarterback Michael Vick had endorsement deals with Coca-Cola, EA Sports, Kraft Foods, Hasbro, Airtran, and Nike. Vick's jersey was the second most popular in all of the NFL. Now Vick's only endorser is Nike, and his jersey ranks 33rd in the league. Nike on Thursday announced it will suspend the release of Zoom, Vic, 5, Shoe, and related marketing efforts. Why? Those are just the latest things that have happened to Michael Vick after a grand jury indicted him and three other men Tuesday in a dogfighting probe of Vick's house in Virginia. The indictment alleges that Vick and his co-defendants began sponsoring dogfights in early 2001, the former Virginia Tech star's rookie year with the Falcons. In the court of law... This will have a chance to play out. But in the court of public opinion, Michael Vick is doomed. When you start seeing the graphic testimony and indictment documents that we saw this week, and it talks about mutilation of dogs, including electrocuting them, putting bullets in their heads. Now you're going to have groups like PETA picketing the NFL offices next week, 
Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, has a very tough decision. He signed Vic to a 10-year, $130 million deal back in 2004, the richest contract in the history of the NFL. He is the face of the Falcons franchise. He sells a lot of tickets. He sells a lot of jerseys. I personally don't think he's going to sell many tickets or jerseys anymore. And Arthur Blank, you've got to look at this guy as the face of your franchise. Every time Michael Vick's name is mentioned in the next several months, he's going to be mentioned as the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. That's like having a bad ad continuing to run over and over again. Same thing for the NFL in Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell has taken a hard-line stance with Pac-Man Jones, Chris Henry, Tank Johnson. What is he going to do here? It looks like the Falcons in the NFL are going to play this thing by the letter of the law. Nike playing it by the letter of the law, even though they're removing product from the shelves. I think of your Arthur Blank. You've got to cut this guy. You don't need these kind of headlines. Blank is a guy who says, you know, I'm the founder of Home Depot. I'm image conscious. You don't need these kinds of headlines associated with your team. I think he'd be doing Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, a favor because Goodell's sitting here in a tight spot should he suspend him. But these guys want to see how this thing plays out. I think the Duke lacrosse case here is actually saving Michael Vick People rush to judgment with that case, and I think they want to be so careful here not to rush to judgment, let the process pay out. But listen, here's the thing worth noting. This is not a state case. This is a federal case. This isn't the Duke lacrosse case. This isn't Kobe Bryant in Colorado. This isn't even O.J. Simpson in Colorado. These are the feds. They have airtight cases. Their success rate is 95%. They lose about as often as USC's football team. It just doesn't happen. They've got a load of evidence against Michael Vick. Michael Vick, if this thing goes to trial, lots of negative headlines are going to come out. If he pleads guilty and plea bargains, he's going to get suspended. He may even get banned by the league and commissioner, Roger Goodell. Obviously, this is a huge story. We will watch it very closely in the weeks and months ahead. But it's bad news for Michael Vick. Coming up next, Jeff Ma from ProTrade.com. He's going to be joining us every month. We've got our first segment with him. You're not going to miss it. This guy's a number savant. Coming up next, Jeff Ma, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Don't go anywhere. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. My guest is Jeff Ma. He's the Vice President of Research for ProTrade.com. ProTrade.com is a cutting-edge, fan-powered sports media community where sports fans can invest in athletes and teams. They make predictions. They share their thoughts with other fans around the sports world. Jeff is going to be joining me once a month as part of our new partnership with ProTrade.com. You can read Jeff's blog by going to ProTrade.com and becoming a member of the ProTrade.com community. Jeff, welcome to Sports Business Radio. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Let's first start by discussing your background. It really is amazing. You're what I call a, a numbers savant. Uh, you show companies how to harness the power of rational quantitative analysis to improve decision-making and the bottom line. So you base your finding on results and not as much emotions. How have you and ProTrade been able to revolutionize the way we think about sports and business and how we assess talent? Well, I, I think there's a bunch of things that we're trying to do. I mean, basically, the the, the, the actual company, ProTrade, was founded um, after Mike Kearns, who's the main founder, and myself read the book Moneyball. We, uh, the book Moneyball is by Michael Lewis, and it's about uh, Billy Bean and the Oakland A's and how they've been able to compete in baseball while still having what is a, a lower uh, a salaries, you know, salary to spend, salary cap to spend. Um, and they've been able to do that by finding more progressive, more analytical ways to value um, athletes and look for inefficiencies in the marketplace. So, you know, a perfect example of it is one of the lessons or one of the things they talk about is how on-base percentage was uh, very much of an undervalued statistic. And they went and they found players that had high on-base percentages but didn't do some of the other things or didn't look like a typical baseball player uh, should look. Um, similarly, we've been when, when I read that book, I, I decided that what I really wanted to do was work in sports because that's really what my tremendous what my passion is. And what I did is is try to start a sports consulting firm where I would take these ideas and, into other sports and into other teams. So since then, we we founded ProTrade, and ProTrade's really around the idea of of finding better ways to value athletes. And then it's kind of evolved into. Uh, a sports community where we allow our fans to kind of weigh in and talk about sports and things like that within the construct of an athlete stock market. But on the side, we've also worked with teams. We work with the San Francisco 49ers to help them with their in-game strategy decisions, and we work with the Portland Trailblazers to help them decide who to draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated that there's people, obviously the Moneyball book, uh, Bill James is a guy who's used numbers for years, and now you guys have come along. When the Portland Trailblazers hire you, I know you just kind of talked about it, but what specifically are they looking for? Are you putting together some analysis for them that they can use every single year in the draft? There was some, I'm based in Portland, so there was some talk about this secret analysis they've been using to really help them decide who they want to pick and obviously they had the choice between Odin and Durant this year that was a big decision for them yeah I mean I think that that was a big decision and to be honest um our quant our quantitative analysis can only help so much with a decision like that because you know you had a lot of issues with Odin where Odin was hurt this this year and only playing with his left hand I mean it would be hard it would be you'd be hard pressed to find a statistical measure that would tell you that uh, Odin was the pick over Durant given their statistical performances uh, their year, their one year in college. Now, that being said, 
what what happened with the Trailblazers is I I think they were looking you know Kevin Pritchard who at that point was uh, director of player personnel not the general manager yet was looking for some new ways to sort of get more information to make his decisions now they have some great scouts there and they have a great process in place to decide how to make picks but what they were lacking was a purely objective measure to kind of look at college performance understand which of those players had the best chance of success at the pro level based on their college performance and that's really what we've given them we we every year we run a model on the players college statistics and recommend to them which players have the highest chance of success at the pro level based purely on their college statistics and some of their you know sort of vital um, you know stats i.e. their height their weight their age etc my guest is Jeff Ma. He's the vice president of research for ProTrade.com. Jeff, I want to talk for a moment about your amazing background. Uh, I've read the book, Bringing Down the House. It's one of my favorite books. When I found out that the book was based on you and your experience, I was even more excited to have the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, the book is being turned into a movie called 21, it looks like, with Kevin Spacey, Kate Bosworth, Lawrence Fishburne. Let's first talk about your experience uh, in the book, Bringing Down the House. It's based on your story. How did that all come about with you and a group of MIT students and alums getting together to literally bring down the house? Yeah, the the actual card counting, which was done in the book, has been around for a long time. I mean, it, it was sort of discovered or invented by a, an MIT slash, uh, I believe, Caltech professor um, named Ed Thorpe. And what what essentially we did was take card counting, which is basically beating blackjack by using the fact that blackjack is dealt out of a, a shoe. It's dealt out of a, a deck. And what you see impacts what you're going to see. So in, in the case of what we did with, with uh, blackjack is we basically took that to a new level. And there was a group of us that went to Vegas, um, you know, every month and to other casinos and that kind of thing, and were able to beat blackjack by using numbers and statistics uh, to do it. Now, over the course of time, we were very successful and, and had a great run and had a great time. Towards the end of it, I, I approached one of my friends, who was this guy, Ben Mezrick, who was a writer, and he'd written seven books at that time. They were all fiction-based, and I said, Ben, I've got a great idea for a story for you. Now, Ben probably had been approached by 50 or 60 people that all said the same thing, so he kind of ignored me. But I actually took him to Vegas with me, and he said, God, we, we really need to write this story. Ah. So we, uh, we actually wrote the story. I, I told him for about three weeks. We spent a couple hours every day together, and I would tell him every story I remembered from, from the run, and then he went back and, and kind of turned him into a story. Now, let me ask you this. It's one thing to go and, and count cards and have this elaborate system in place, but you've got to have the people skills because the pit bosses and the people in Las Vegas and in the casinos, they're pretty bright. They can tell when people are uh, you know, trying to take them to the cleaners like you guys did. How did you get this elaborate system working so that everyone was on the same page? Yeah, Brian, that's a really good point and a really good question. I think that one of the things that made us so successful, and, and one, there's a lot of people at MIT and a lot of people that can pull this off from a technical standpoint, but the, the, the most important thing is that you've got to play a role, you've got to act a role to make the casino think you are someone that's rich and that has a lot of money and you're not a card counter. Um, so a lot of times what you go in and you, have, you, you assume almost a persona. I mean, I assumed a bunch of different personas. One was you know, the son of the guy who owns Sony, another was... Uh, the son of a really famous plastic surgeon from L.A., another was oh, a dog millionaire and all that kind of stuff. So 
it's not even that you necessarily come in and have this whole story that you tell. It's it's that you kind of just play along with people as they just assume things about you, and you just kind of make people feel like you're not there to win a lot of money, like you're there just to gamble and play and like everyone else. You're just blending in exactly as much as you can. When does the movie come out? Uh, it's supposed to come out March 21st, 2008. It's already done. Um, I've I've heard, I uh, haven't seen the whole uh, version yet, but I've heard that it's been received very well at screening so far. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope that it's a big success. Do you have a cameo in the movie? Uh, I do actually. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, I, you never know if these things are going to make it to the final cut. But yeah, I do have a, a role, a small role in it. Was out there for a couple of days filming it. That's great. Hey, let's talk more about ProTrade.com. That's really what we're here for. Um, what are you trying to create at ProTrade.com? I mean, it's an online sports stock market. You talked about it a little bit earlier, but it looks like boy, there's a lot of people. I go on there and I see this huge community that's developed. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we started it out as was was this idea of an online sports stock market. So in other words, you can buy and sell athletes and teams just like you would stocks. And everyone has this notion, you know, if you watch ESPN or any of these TV, uh, any of these uh, major networks, they always talk about players' stock going through the roof or dropping or um, uh, players being blue chips or things like that. So, right. I mean, people are already talking about this. So we created this notion of a sports stock market and a game around that where you can come on, you get uh, virtual currency that you can use to buy and sell these athletes. And if you can appreciate the currency, if you can, if you can uh, make more money, you can use that money to buy things within our marketplace. So you can buy, you know, right now, this weekend I'm actually heading up to Vancouver because one of our users – won a trip to Vancouver to Steve Nash's charity event and gets to play horse at halftime against Steve. That's great. So, yeah, that's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but what we – what and, and you're smart in noticing this. What we're evolving into is a natural community around this marketplace because the, it, it's interesting to trade and play the game, but it's even more interesting to find out – you know, who are the top 10 running backs according to the pro trade market? Because you can take that and use that as information to play fantasy sports. Um, so, and, and also in other things, it, it's just become a very vibrant community. Our community um, is very uh, incented to know when a player gets hurt or when a player gets sent down or when a player gets put on the DL. So they react very quickly to that kind of information and post analysis and, and, and news about what's going on in sports. And we're building a community around that slowly, um, and hopefully we'll continue to build that even more and more because, you know, the, the ESPNs and, and, and those types of people, they have the ability to sort of promote their own personalities and branded personalities. What we want to do is make the fans the story. We want to make the fans, you know, the people that power this community. Well, you know, that's why this is a great partnership between Sports Business Radio and ProTrade.com. We have fans who are very educated. They follow the sports world from a very enlightened angle, and I think this is going to be a great partnership. We've got about a minute left. You do a popular daily blog. It's fittingly called Blogging Down the House. What are you going to write about? Uh, what can people expect when they read that blog? Uh, well, I like to write a lot about what's going on in the ProTrade community. So, in other words, highlight some of the things that the community um, is talking about. But I mean, we also run some fun stuff off there. I mean, I talk a little bit about what's going on with my life and with the movie and, you know, sort of some of the things that, you know, if I have a recent trip to Vegas, and I'm sure I'll write about 
you know, what it's like to meet Steve Nash this weekend and spend some time with him and, and how the horse game goes and things like that. So it's kind of just daily things that are going on in my life tied to sports. I mean, we have the, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people in sports. I mean, not nearly the, the Rolodex that you have coming on to this show, but <laughs> at least have some, some good run-ins with guys and some funny stories. And, and, and I like to also just share some anecdotes because during my sort of blackjack run, um, I just I had some amazing times where we got to meet some funny uh, celebrities and 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 had some really funny experiences with celebrities. Are you now banned from casinos? I'm not banned from casinos, but I am banned from playing blackjack in casinos. Interesting. Well, Jeff, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to you. I really look forward to our monthly segment here on Sports Business Radio. And uh, if you want to learn more about Jeff and read his blogging down the house blog, go to protrade.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Christine Brennan, USA Today sports columnist. She's joining us from Carnoustie Golf Links in Scotland, site of the 2007 British Open. Christine is a friend of the show. Christine, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on with you, Brian. Thanks for having me. So you've had the type of sports month that I personally dream about. You were first at Wimbledon. Now you're at the British Open. Uh, Not a bad few weeks for you. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, thanks. I feel pretty lucky. Um, You know, it's uh, not a bad uh, few weeks to spend in Europe and to see some great events. And uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's I've been able to be it's this is my third British Open uh, with my fourth Wimbledon. And um, each one I do, you know, because as a girl watching them on TV and now to be able to, quote unquote, work at them is uh, is kind of a, well, it's really a dream come true. Over there in Europe, which is the biggest uh, event or the bigger event, Wimbledon or the British Open? Great question. I think because Wimbledon goes for two weeks and is located in London and the BBC goes crazy with, you know, wall-to-wall coverage, I probably would have to say that the um, the tennis uh, Wimbledon, to me, seems bigger. Golf, uh, don't get me wrong, the, the Open Championship, as they call it, uh, the 136th Open Championship right now, is also great, um, and it's a big, big deal. But I think um, I think because of the, the importance of the tennis located in this huge city of London, which goes all out for it, and then the fact that it stretches for two weeks, I think the tennis... Um, 
uh, seems bigger, although I would say this, that, that Federer or Venus, you know, they're a big deal. But I think that um, because of Tiger Woods, his stature worldwide, that that certainly uh, gets the golf pretty close to the tennis in terms of um, importance. I mean, just being out on the course today, watching Tiger finish on 18, and then having a situation where, you know, all the, the fans are, you know, people, it's like a rock star, you know, it's like the you know, the Rolling Stones just showed up or the Beatles and, and tennis, you know, Federer, Venus Williams, they don't have that kind of command of, uh, of the crowd the way the tiger does. Christine, big news this week, uh, over there, Gary player comes out. I guess he was scheduled for a, you know, a real, a short press conference, 11 questions long. And during that time, he drops a bomb and basically says he has firsthand knowledge of performance enhancement drugs in golf. What's the reaction over there this week? It's been a big reaction, Brian. And, and as you might expect, you know, he, um, it, I was in the press conference and, it got off, you know, kind of a just a you know seventy-one-year-old guy talking about things in sports, and I was going to ask him the question, but someone else asked him before uh, about steroids because he's such a fitness nut, and right. um, you know, so uh, and it has been a topic, and more and more people are asking, you know, Mickelson or Tiger about it. So anyway, I, out of the blue, I'm kind of you know the question comes, and then. And then his answer was, you know, basically he couldn't have been more prepared for the question and ready to rock and roll and that he knows at least one player who, who swore him to secrecy and he guesses 10 others maybe around the world, uh, if not more. And, um, you know, just said that uh, he knows for a fact. And, and, and I, the quote I liked the best was, if golf doesn't think it has a problem, it's dreaming. And so, um, yeah, all that put together, it was, a, it was quite a bombshell that has been discussed and continues to be discussed on the course as more and more players are asked about it and about players' comments. So it, it, when it was happening, Brian, right there sitting there and going, this is a big deal because I've covered steroids for so long and then the issue and in, in international sports that in my brain I was going, I think this is going to be pretty big, and, and sure enough, it has become that. Now, the LPGA is, spe- is scheduled to institute random drug testing next season. The PGA and the European Tour have not committed to any kind of drug testing yet, what are your thoughts now? Will this fast track something like that? I think it will. And as even if you think Gary Player is, you know, is ill-informed and has no idea what he's talking about and is old and and whatever, I, I don't think that matters in this case, Brian. Because uh, to me, it's just stunning that golf has had its head in the sand, kind of like baseball. You know, where Major League Baseball finally in 2004 instituted steroid testing, performance-enhancing drug testing, and uh, you know, of course, golf is the last major sport to to uh, to not test. In 2007, that's stunning. It really is. And I know they get along, go along and tell us, oh, this is the sport, the last sport that the, uh, the players call penalties on themselves and the, the purity of golf and the honesty. Well, you know, that doesn't ring true for me. I, I love golf. I've played it my whole life. I, I respect it. But uh, the thought that no one in the sport of golf worldwide is taking steroids or performance-enhancing drugs, human growth hormone, any number of things that the Olympics and other sports test for and, and, uh, and you know, think are terrible, it's just a joke. And uh, I, I think this is good. I think Gary Player dragged golf into the 21st century, and I think that's where they belong. The fact that the LPGA Tour is actually beating them to the punch I, should be an embarrassment, I think, 
to the PGA Tour. But my guess is that the PGA uh, will get something going very quickly. They should. They should have something in place by next year, as the LPGA Tour will have. And uh, I think that we'll look back on this. And whether anyone tests positive or not in the first few years, that that this is this was a good thing to have happen because the NCAA there's there's steroid use in golf in the NCAA steroid use in golf in junior uh, golf in France uh, it's documented uh, so the fact that some of these this is not going to trickle up you know come on it has to and I think that's kind of what Gary Player was getting at. Well, if PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham spent as much time on this ridiculous FedEx Cup as he would on uh, steroid testing, uh, he might be on to something. Let me ask you this. At a lot of American tournaments, we see corporate tents, we see sponsor signage. What kind of a presence is there over there in Europe for corporations on the golf course? Yeah, well, certainly at the British Open, it's a very different feel. Um, and um, it's uh, the Royal and Ancient, of course, takes over the, their golf governing body. And so you really only see the, the claret jug, the little symbol of the, you know, of the tournament, and the RNA signs all over. And otherwise, there's, there's very little signage. Uh, I mean, you, you know, you see the, the watch, the clock, the Rolex clock, you know, is always in the background, the picture. You see some of it, but it is not um, overwhelming. I would I would compare it very much, Brian, to the U.S. Open, uh, the golf, of course, uh, tournament just a few weeks ago, the U.S. National Championship. Same kind of feeling that, yes, there's corporate tents, uh, there's corporate outings, you know, people come over for these things. Again, it's, it's the USGA logo that you see as opposed to a company logo. And the same feeling here. And I like that. I, I think that's healthy. It's good. Um, you're not overrun by neon and logos and gimmicks. Uh, uh, obviously, there's a corporate presence, but it's much more understated at these kind of events than at your normal week-in, week-out PGA or LPGA or senior tour event. My guest is Christine Brennan. She's a USA Today sports columnist. She's joining us from Carnoustie Golf Links in Scotland. Uh, Christine, Scotland has hosted, uh, Carnoustie has hosted the British Open, I guess, six times now. The last time it was there in 1999. We all remember the epic collapse of John Vandeveld. You had a chance to uh, hear from him this week. You wrote a column about him. What is he up to these days after that epic collapse uh, a few years back? The infamous John Vandeveld, who is one of my favorite stories in sports in the sense that he handled it so beautifully. And Yeah, he really and, did. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and that was the, the same weekend that John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane crashed, and and uh, I remembered so well. I was over here covering uh, that that uh, British Open, and when John Van, Vandeveld said, "Hey, it was terrible, but there's worse things happening to people in this world. This is only about golf," I, I was instantly endured to him and thought, "Good for him, you know, that he's got his act together." And yeah, he blew it. <laughs> he totally blew the 18th hole, uh, the 72nd hole. He would have won the British Open. But uh, how he handled it, his grace, his perspective, I think, is wonderful. And your question about what he's doing now, well, the poor guy is really sick. He's only 41 years old, and he's got some mysterious ailment. They're trying to diagnose it. He's basically been throwing up, can't keep food down, all sorts of aches and pains. Uh, they're doing every kind of test imaginable, including, as he said, bone cancer. They were test- doing a, a scan for bone cancer the other day. I have no idea how that turned out. Hopefully he's fine. Hopefully it's not cancer. But he has been sick and ailing since April, and he's had it. So even if he'd been given a uh, an exemption or an invitation, a special invite to come here, 
he said he couldn't have done it because he's so sick. And, you know, you feel bad for him because that's certainly not the way he wanted to, you know, approach this week of all weeks with the British Open returning to Carnoustie for the first time since 1999. Christine, Carnoustie, where does it rank against the other European courses that play host to the British Open? I mean, St. Andrews is probably my favorite. What are What's the ranking for Carnoustie in your opinion? It's a good question, Brian, and I think it's up, obviously up for debate. Carnoustie was out of the rotation uh, for quite a while, uh, been from 75 into 99, and uh, that was, you know, that was unheard of, you know, that, that they would be out of it so long. Now, some of this has nothing to do with the with the actual course, but um, the uh, trappings, the infrastructure, parking, ability to put corporate tents and things up, as we discussed a few moments ago. So it was more than just the golf course. But I think there was a sense that while Carnoustie was a strong um, you know, a great golf course and very, very difficult. Uh, Carnasty is what one of the British tablets right. called it in 99. I think there was also a sense that it was not one of the greats. Uh, and that, um, for example, Birkdale or Royal Lytham and St. Anne's, uh, uh, you know, certainly St. Andrews, of course, that uh, those are the ones we'd heard about more, Troon, you know, we heard more about those than we've heard about uh, Carnoustie. And those were more in the rotation. Um, but what has also happened, I think, is Carnoustie has gotten back into the good graces of the Royal and Ancient uh, Club and, and the uh, organization that, that runs golf here in, in the U.K., and I, I kind of like it. I, I haven't seen all these golf courses. I was at Royal Liverpool last year. I like Carnoustie more than that. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's long, it's tough, and the burn, very burn that runs through it, meandering through it, uh, with its brick walls, you know, a, a, a river with or a creek with brick walls. Um, and, you know, that's kind of neat. So I, I like the fact that people like Tom Watson and Ben Hogan have won on this golf course. That gives it a real history, and I think it, it makes it one of the better courses in the U.K. because of that. You know, Christine, American players have had a decent amount of success in the last decade over in Europe at the British Open on Lynx courses, where over the course of history, American players haven't really fared that well. Why do you think that is? Tigers won the last two, but I think it's 10 of the last 12 British Opens have been won by an American. That's right, and it's, it is a great point you're making. I, I kind of think, Brian, it's simply because uh, the pressure is on the British players and the Europeans in a way that it's it's not on the American players. You know, I think there's much more pressure on U.S. golfers uh, for the Masters, for, certainly for the U.S. Open, uh, the national championship of our game. I mean, if kid, a boy or girl is out putting or playing golf with their friends, it's very likely that they would be, uh, you know, putting to win the U.S. Open and uh, not to, to win the British Open. Uh, conversely, I think if you're talking about a, a, a child, a boy or girl who grows up in England or Scotland or Wales or France or whatever, they, they're, they're putting, or Sweden in the case of Annika Sorenstam, you know, she was you know, putting to win the British Open, uh, the Women's British Open, whatever. So I, I do think that the pressure is on them. It's ironic because they won five of the last six Ryder Cups right. the Europeans have. But so as a team, they're great. Uh, they, they're absolutely fantastic teammates. But then you separate them and make them 12 individuals, and they just haven't been able to pull it off. Um, and I think they want it so badly. Um, now, we'll see. There's a lot of European names you know, doing very well here this week. But, but the point is that um, they, they simply have come watch the Americans come on over here, and uh, Tiger Woods doesn't play Lee golf at all once a year. And he comes over and he does so well at it. Uh, that it is, again, another measure of his greatness. 
And I think, frankly, the U.S., uh, the players are not feeling the pressure that they might feel, you know, back at home, back in the States. Well, Christine, thank you so much for making time to join us from Scotland. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Christine, always great to catch up with you. Enjoy yourself over there in Scotland, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. I look forward to it, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James is highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office, saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, EA Sports and Jostens, the company that created 27 out of the 41 Super Bowl championship rings, they're marketing rings to players of the Madden NFL 2008 game. The rings will sell beginning August 14th, They'll range in price from $149 to $495. Once a gamer reaches the third of five levels in the game, he or she can purchase a ring on Jostens' website using a code provided within the game. The NFL's 32 team logos can be incorporated into the rings and tops of the side of the rings. You could, these are cubic zirconium rings. You can also add diamonds if you want. So this takes gaming to a whole other level. You can show your bling for beating your friends in Madden 2008. Lots of thank yous for this week's show. Jeff Ma from ProTrade.com, Christine Brennan from USA Today, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and ProTrade.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Look forward to have Nathan Roach back next week, fresh from his honeymoon. I'm Brian Berger. You have yourself a terrific week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.